The greatest privilege of my life is not being a pastor. And it's not having special skills or my degrees or whatever else you could say really makes me special. No, the greatest privilege of my life is serving alongside a team of amazing people, including my own family, who are dedicated to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I believe you can have that too. In fact, I would suggest you need that too. Welcome to the Deep Dive. Yes, Deep Dive, Season 5, Episode 31. Welcome, everybody, and to that program. Could you like the video? Could you share the video or subscribe to the channel? Any one of those things would help. Deep Dive is coming to a close for this season, believe it or not, two more episodes, including tonight, which means next week we close out our Book of Romans study, and we're going to take a break for a month, then I'll be back in August for a two-month season on topical conversations. We're going to do topical messages or topical studies, and then we're going to pick up a new book of the Bible somewhere around October. Keep up with us by clicking on that notification bell so that you get notified on your smart device every time we go live. And I'm glad that you're here because this this talk could save your life. Literally, we are suffering from a serious pandemic, friends, and it's not a pandemic that begins with COVID- It's a pandemic that begins with lonely. It's a loneliness pandemic. We talked about this last night on the deep end, and sometimes the deep end and deep dive really go well together, and they do this week. There's a loneliness problem even in the church that a lot of people have friendly churches but no real friends in church. This is part of a larger problem in the world with millennials and Gen Zers claiming that they're connected with thousands of friends but feeling all alone, USA Today reporting. And then Time Magazine reports, Loneliness is a public health emergency. Here's what helps, according to the experts. And in this article, it reads that researchers have found loneliness can significantly increase the risk of early death. In part, that's because it's linked to a striking number of disorders, including cognitive disorders like Alzheimer's and other types of dementia and mental health disorders like depression, anxiety, and schizophrenia. Loneliness has also been linked to cardiovascular disease, stroke, type 2, diabetes, cancer, and other chronic illnesses. In other words, this message on loneliness and how to solve it could save your life. It could keep you from dying an early death. This from the Journal of the American Board of Family Medicine. There's a new pandemic of loneliness, so that's what they're calling it. And the study cites that in the United States, 4 in 10 adults have reported symptoms of anxiety or depressive disorder during the pandemic, which is a significant increase from 1 in 10 who reported these symptoms in the first half of 2019. My friends, we need friends. And if you don't have friends, we talked about this last night. There's something you can do, and I briefly touched on it last night. You got to get involved in the church. You can't just go. You can't just go to a building. The building is not the church. The church are the people. So get yourself connected with them. Link up arms with people who are serving Christ, and you will be blessed. Like I said in the beginning, the greatest, the greatest privilege that I have in life is to partner side by side with people that I love and cherish in the gospel of Jesus. Let's get into the book of Romans. You say, Tim, is that why you're wearing the camouflage shirt? Uh, no, I didn't plan that, but I do like the camouflage shirt. What do you think, camo? Because, you know, camouflage, it's a, it's a style, but really, if you think about it, military men and women wear camouflage because they're going to battle. They want to be disguised together. So maybe there is a little bit of an unintentional, you know, directive of the Holy Spirit here to say, as Christians, we are camouflaged in the fact that we might look like ordinary people, but we have the Holy Spirit, which makes us much more than ordinary 
And we're all clothed in the righteousness of Christ to do business with God and with people. Mm, man, I didn't even plan to say that, but that was pretty brilliant. Hey, like the video if you think so. Anyway, <laughs> let's pray. Father God, thank you for this opportunity to speak into God's people's hearts, your people's hearts, Lord. Help me to speak. Help me to share what you want to share. May your kingdom come and will be done through this study. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's talk about what it meant. We're in Romans chapter 16. If you have your Bibles, open them. If you don't, open your Bible because the Bible is your sword. It's the sword of the Spirit, and it is there to help you fight off the attacks of the enemy and do damage to the kingdom of darkness. So Romans chapter 16, and if you don't have the Bible, I have it up here on the screen for you. Romans 16, 1. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church at Kentray, that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and help her in whatever she may need from you, for she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. Okay, Paul is going to start naming names in Romans chapter 16. For the next 16 verses, he's going to just go down the litany of names that he has of personal relationships with people that he says thank you and greet them and make sure you note them and notice them and honor them. And the first one on the list, ladies and gentlemen, is not a man. It is a woman, a sister he calls her named Phoebe. He calls her a servant. The word in Greek is deaconess. In other words, she was a deacon of the church. Now, sometimes we take the... Greek words, and we say that that makes them an official person, like the word messenger we're going to get to in a moment is the word apostolos in Greek. So we say a messenger is an apostle, but not all messengers of Christ are official apostles of Christ. Anyway, there's a there's a big you know debate about that, and we can talk about that maybe a little bit tonight. But anyway, he says, I want to commend to you our sister Phoebe. Who's he, who is she? Phoebe is the woman bringing the letter of Romans to the Roman church from Corinth, where Paul is sending the message from. And Cantrae is a little port city right outside of Corinth or, you know, off to the side of Corinth that is right on the ocean water. So she probably sailed across the Mediterranean Sea, brought the letter to the church in Rome and delivered it by hand to that precious church in the name of Paul. And she says, and then Paul says, welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints. In the words, honor this person. There's a way that saints welcome each other. There's a way that Christians welcome Christians, ladies and gentlemen. We do not treat each other the same. Uh, as we would treat non-Christians. We have a welcoming spirit. When we see partners in Christ, there is a harmony in the spirit. I don't know if you ever had the privilege of this opportunity, but I have on several occasions to go to several different uh, locations in this country or across the world and meet up with other Christians, Christ followers. And immediately there is a harmony in the spirit and there is a camaraderie and there is a sense of family and there is nothing better than that. When you're so far away from home, that meeting up with other Christians gives you just a little taste of home, gives you a little touch of heaven because, because that's what we are. We are the people of heaven, amen? We are the people who are not of this world. So he calls Phoebe a servant, a deaconess. By the way, women can serve as deacons. I believe that's biblical. And then he says this, that she has been a patron. And the word patron is prostasis, prostatis, sorry, prostatis in the Greek. And a lot of people think that that means she's a preacher. No, there is no historical basis for making the word pro, prostatis, pro, pro, prostatis preacher in the original language. What it was, patrons were people who were wealthy business men and women who would be benefactors to those who were spreading a message around the world. They would be the big givers of a church. They would be the people who funded missionary endeavors across the world, and they still exist today. And that's who Phoebe was. So Phoebe was not just the carrier of the book of Romans, the letter that actually ends up being canonized in Holy Scripture for all time. Amazing opportunity for this woman. Amazing privilege to carry this letter across the Mediterranean to the church in Rome. But 
She was also a wealthy businesswoman, so that's probably how she afforded the travel across the Mediterranean because it was very expensive as it is today to travel across seas. And, and she is to be commended, and she is to be honored. And Paul does in this chapter something that we have got to learn to do. Give honor to whom honor is due. Like, we've got to name names, okay? And now I know there's a lot of people who say, well, I don't, want, I don't want to get the glory here on earth because, you know, then I don't get the glory up in heaven. That's, that's, that's not true. <laughs> if you're doing things with a sincere heart and a grateful heart and a humble heart, you can, get, you can get rewarded, you can get recognized here on this earth and in the life to come, okay? It is those who are seeking only the reward in this life, like the Pharisees and the religious leaders and the scribes that Jesus rebuked on a regular basis. If you're only seeking for earthly approval, you lose your heavenly reward, okay? But for people who serve honestly and humbly and authentically in the kingdom, we should honor them, we should name them, we should mention them, we should, we should thank God for them, and then, of course, we should welcome them. And that's exactly what Paul models here in Romans chapter 16. He's saying, listen, there are some people that I've got a name because they are so instrumental in the ministry that I have had so far and where I am going. He goes on in verse three and he says, uh, greet Prisca. Now, Prisca is the shortened version of Priscilla. It's not a different person. It's, it's the Priscilla and Aquila from Acts 18. So he says, greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ. And notice what they did. They risked their necks for my life to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Priscilla and Aquila were Jews. They were, ex- they were uh, expulsed. They were expulsed? They were, what's the word I'm saying? They were uh, cast out of Rome by the emperor Claudius in AD 52 because the Jewish Christians and the, and the, and the Jews were arguing over Christ. And Claudius, they said, it just came to such heated arguments. Claudius just drove all the Jews out. So Priscilla and Aquila made their way over to Ephesus. That's where they taught Apollos in Acts chapter 18 more about the faith. And then they hook up with Paul because uh, Aquila was a tent maker just like Paul. And they become partners in the ministry. They become partners in the gospel. And so he says they risked their lives. That they, they traveled, and, and and we don't know exactly how they risked their lives. It might have been the travel. It might have been the fact that they were expulsed from Rome. Am I using the right word? There is really driving me nuts. Anyway, let me know in the comments if I'm using the right word. Uh, so they they were cast out of Rome. There we go. And and they became partners with Paul. And then they risked their lives for the gospel. You know that how many people risk their lives even today? Uh, a recent study uh, in in church missionary endeavors has reported that in the last hundred years, more Christians have died for the faith than the previous 1900 years of Christian history combined. Like Christian martyrdom is at an all-time high right now, which, you know, leans into the truth of the book of Revelation that there's going to be a lot of blood of the saints as the day of the Lord approaches. And and we're almost in that day. The reason why Americans don't get it is because we're so inculcated by this culture of, of freedom of religion that we don't get how dangerous it is to be a Christian outside of this country. But anyway, history has shown the enormity of sacrifice throughout Christian generations that people have made for the cause of the gospel. In fact, I want to, I want you to hear me say this. If you know Christ right now, it's because someone risked their life to help you hear it. It's because someone said, this message is worth dying for. The very first martyr of the church was a man named Stephen, and he was testifying to the gospel of Jesus Christ to those who did not want to hear. And he paid for it with his life. And because of Stephen's faithfulness, guess what? We know Jesus Christ today. 
think about that. Think about the amazing privilege. Like, they, like the gospel didn't come to you only through some Sunday school teacher. It came to that Sunday school teacher f- before you through someone else, through through, through someone, and, and it came to that person through someone else, all the way down the long lineage of human history. And you think about those who fought and died against the heresies of the church, of, uh, as they fought against the heresies of the church, the church put them to death in the days of the church's corruption. You think about the missionaries who crossed the sea, uh, the Atlantic Ocean, to come to America to establish the freedom of religion. You think about Roger Williams, who suffered uh, immensely for the cause of Christ and for the separation of church and state. You think about John Wesley. uh, You think about uh, George Whitfield. You think about, oh, countless missionaries that we don't even know by name who've brought the gospel to the world at great cost of their life. Greet them, honor them, acknowledge them. Verse 6, he goes on. He says, greet Mary. Now, this is not Mary, uh, the mother of Jesus. This is not um, a Mary that we know of in Scripture outside of this passage. But he just mentions that she's worked hard. Sometimes we just got to mention the people that work hard. And here's a a hot tip. Are you ready? It takes no special gift talent to work hard. It takes no special gift to work hard. Sometimes the gift is the hard work. And if you're just ready to roll up your sleeves and work hard in ministry, God will record it. I'm telling you, he will record it. We're going to get to that later in just a moment. Verse 7, he says, greet Andronicus and Junia, or Junia, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners. They are well known to the apostles and they were in Christ before me. Okay, time to get a little bit uh, debated here. Uh, time to touch on a little bit of a hot topic. This verse is often used as a linchpin verse for women who can be pastors because it seems like that Junia, Junia person, which is a female name, most likely a female name, could be a male name, but it's most like a fe- most likely a female name from the original text. He says that they are well known to the apostles, but the NIV reads that they are well known or they are outstanding among the apostles. In other words, are these two people, Andronicus and Junia, apostles? Is that what Paul is saying? Well, that's not necessarily how you should read it. To be outstanding among the apostles doesn't mean that you are among the apostles as members of the apostolic role. You could just be well known among them. You could just be outstanding in the apostolic circle. Secondly, the word apostle, again, doesn't necessarily mean to designate the official apostles of Christ, the 12, right? It can, the word apostolos is the word messenger. And Paul makes this argument in 2 Corinthians about how there are certain signs of an apostle. There are certain qualifications of an apostle that you should see Christ, that you should suffer for Christ, that you should uh, see the risen Christ, suffer for Christ, and that you should... uh, do certain miracles of an apostle, right? So it doesn't necessarily mean that he is naming them apostles. And so that word could more generically refer to missionaries that go to foreign cities or foreign nations with the gospel. We would we would call these people missionaries. And yes, there are male and female missionaries uh, from all time in church history, and we should value them and we should uh, honor them and and pay tribute to them. This is a terrible verse, however, to use as the proof text for women pastors, Uh, particularly since it's written by Paul, who wrote very clearly in 1 Timothy and in Titus and in 2 Timothy that women should not have authority over a man, should not be pastorally charged with that oversight position. They should be silent in the church. That is, they do not teach the authority of the word of God to men. They teach the young women. They teach one another. Absolutely, they should teach in that regard, but they do not teach men. This is going all the way back 
back to Genesis chapter 2. We have talked about this uh, extensively on this channel. None of you argue with me. I don't know why I'm going off about it now. I'm just trying to tell you that usually this is one of the verses where people go to to say, oh, see, there were two people here in Romans 16, verse 7, that were mentioned as apostles. One of them is a woman, so women can be apostles, women can be preachers, women can be pastors. No, 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 no. That's, that's a terrible way, by the way, to study the Bible. You take a vague reference, such as this in verse 7, um, to a woman who might be, a, you know, a messenger for Christ, which is totally appropriate. Uh, but now you make it as a now you make this as a proof text for a doctrine of the church. Wrong. That's not how you study the Bible. You never subvert the clear instruction of Scripture with the vague references of Scripture. And and secondly, you you never use descriptive texts as proof texts for doctrine. Did you hear me on that? You never use descriptive texts as proof texts for doctrine. If we used descriptive texts as proof texts for doctrine, we could say, well, Jacob had two wives, therefore thou shalt have multiple wives, right? We could say, well, Abraham slept with his wife's servant, therefore men, if you know, if you want to, you can sleep with your wife's secretary or your wife's, you know, house cleaner or whatever. I mean, that's not a prescriptive text. It's a descriptive text and not all texts are prescriptive and you got to know the difference. And this is how heresy starts. So just, just so you know, <laughs> people will reach. And I know in our current culture of, you know, pro-feminism and we want to be cool with culture, we want to be cool with the world. I know that people are struggling, dying. There's a lot of pastors out there dying to be hip and accepted by the culture by saying, we got women pastors. Look at how modern we are. But it's not biblical. It never was biblical. And it's very clear in scripture that men fulfill the role of overseer or what I would call ruling elders. Um, moving on. Okay, verse 8, it says this, greet Ampelitis. Now, ladies and gentlemen, I want to pause here and say, can you please have mercy on me? Because there are so many names from ancient times that I am going to have a hard time pronouncing. So give me some grace and uh, give me thumbs up in the comments below if you think I'm doing good with my pronunciation of these names. I appreciate the comments, okay? Make sure that you're also subscribed to the channel. But anyway. Greet Apolitus, my beloved in the Lord. Now, this word, my beloved, is agapeo in the Greek. And it's a word that refers to a friend that is extra special. Greet my extra special friend, Apolitus. That's what he's saying. He's going to have, by the way, four others that he mentions in this text as beloved. I think we already talked about, I think we already mentioned one. Did we? Uh, let's go back here. Uh, no, 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 no. Can we just talk about also the fact that these two people, Andronicus and Junia, were um, in the Lord before him? That's verse 7. Anyway, back to verse 8. Back to verse 8. Greet Apolitus, my beloved, my special friend. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and my beloved, again, another beloved, Stachys. Greet Apolis, who is approved in Christ. Now, let's talk about that word approved in Christ. That word approved is dikamon, or uh, sorry, dokamon. Sounds like a Pokemon word. Uh, that is referring to someone who has been tested by the fire and found trustworthy. And there are some people like that in your life. There are people, and, and I always say this to people who are endeavoring to get into mission, uh, full-time ministry. Uh, that is pastoral work. If you want to know who your true friends are, go through the fires of affliction and turn around and see who's still with you. Those are your tested and genuine friends. Those are your special friends. And that's who Apolles was. He was approved in Christ, he says. And, and then he says, greet those who belong to the family of Aristobulus. Now, this is the first name that's of note in the, um, in the culture of ancient Rome, in, in, the, in the culture of the city of Rome. Aristobulus was 
potentially, if, if this is not a very common name, potentially the grandson of Herod the Great. And Herod the Great uh, had a, and Aristobulus had a brother named Herod Agrippa I, who was also mentioned in Acts. And Agrippa I was a confidant of Emperor Claudius. And that meant that if um, Aristobulus had died at any moment, his household would have been assumed by Claudius, the Roman emperor. That means that the Christians who were in Aristobulus's family at Aristobulus's death would have gone into the family of the emperor. That is potentially why in Philippians chapter 4, Paul says, those who are of Caesar's household greet you. Philippians 4, the end of the, the chapter. So, so <laughs> notable people in the society of Rome had Christians in their home. And they made their way to the high places of society. We're going to talk about why that's important at the end, but, but let me just continue here. Verse 11, greet my kinsman Herodian, another name of high society. Herodian may have been a free slave who took on the name of his household named for Herod the Great or Herod Agrippa I. And then it says, greet those in the Lord who belong to the family of Narcissus. Now there is no mention that Narcissus is saved. Narcissus is Greek names. There was a Greek god named Narcissus. Anyway, that's where we get Narcissus from. Narcissus, Narcissus here, if he is the same Tiberius Claudius Narcissus, was perhaps also a prominent servant of Emperor Claudius. Uh, we, we have no evidence that he became a Christian, but he had a family who became Christian, who were under his household. Now, history tells us that, that Tiberius Narcissus committed suicide shortly uh, before Paul wrote Romans. So his family were saved, and now Paul's writing, and he's saying, greet them because they're part of the church. What I'm trying to say is that notable people in society had Christians in their home. And you know what? I'm going to say it now. That means that even the people in high society who you might not like, never forget, people on the other side of the political aisle, people in the power that you really don't understand why God allows them to have power, they very well might have believing Christians in their household or under their auspices of authority. Pray that they do so that they can hear about the gospel of Jesus Christ because the gospel is for all people, not just poor people and not just outcasts. Amen? Okay, verse 12. Greet those workers in the Lord, Trephania and Trephosa. Doesn't that sound like a beautiful name, Trephosa? Why didn't that name take off? Anyway, greet the beloved Persis who has worked hard in the Lord. Again, another beloved and this time, not my beloved, but the beloved, your special friend, he says. And, and I want you to greet these people. They're hard workers in the Lord. He says, greet Rufus. Now, this name Rufus is an interesting name because you know who Rufus might be? It might be the same Rufus from uh, Mark chapter 15, 21. If you look here, it says, when Jesus was being crucified, they compelled a passerby, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus to carry his cross. This Rufus mentioned here by Paul in Romans 16, 13 might be the son of the very man who carried the cross of Jesus. Powerful stuff that, that, that had such a profound, I mean, think about it, had such a profound effect on his life when his father carried that cross that he became a pillar of the church in Rome. Let's go on to verse 14. It says this, Greet Asyncritus, Phlegon, Hermes, Petrobus. I want to stop at Petrobus here because that was also the name of a confidant of Emperor Nero. So another notable name in high society. 
Uh, Hermas and the brothers who are with them greet Philogus, Philologus, Philologus, Philologus. Anyway, Julia, Nereus, and his sister, and Olympus, and all the saints who are with them greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you. Phew. And that is the last of the crazy names that I have to pronounce. <laughs> oh, oh, man. Lots of names. A lot of names that never took off in uh, society, in human history. But noted names. And I want to talk to you about what all this means. How about that? Okay, the first thing that it means is that we're seeing a couple of things about the early church. That's why, again, like I love the last chapters of the epistles, the first and the last chapters, because Paul's opening remarks and his closing remarks give us an insight into what was the community of faith like in the first century. And so when we're talking about in this what it means segment, we have, again, this window into the first century. It was a uh, active church. It was a church of teamwork and camaraderie. It was a church of high society people and low society people. There are freedmen, there are slaves mentioned. When it talks about households of, that's talking about the slaves of that house. Uh, it's talking about Gentiles, some Jewish names in there. A large, broad, diverse spectrum of people who were connected to the, mes the message and the ministry of Jesus Christ with the apostle Paul. And here's what it means fundamentally. Okay, this is so beautiful. I love it, I love it. Ready? Are you ready? God remembers the names of his servants, and so should we. God remembers the names of his servants, and so should we. Paul names names. He shows appreciation to those that he knew personally and worked with cooperatively. Ladies and gentlemen, I am not a self-made man. The channel is Tim Hatch Live, right? Subscribe, like, do all that stuff. But do you understand that there's a team of four incredible people that helped me make this channel what it is? Kelly, my assistant, naming names, Michael, my producer, uh, Sharon, my social media director, and Brandon, our YouTube director. These four people make this channel what it is. I am not a self-made pastor. I have friends that I could not have done ministry without. I will say this until my dying day. If it had not been for our friends, my wife, Cheryl and I's friends, Shane and Marianne, Steve and Anna, Carl and Sue, Sean and Priscilla, Brandon, Michelle, many, many others, partners in ministry with my wife and I, that I, I just cannot tell you how important these people are to me. Partners in the gospel and essential to what I am doing. Name names, friends, and in your life too. Name names. Now, if you're, you're saying to me right now, I have no names to name. That's a problem. And we have identified your disease. Your disease is you keep doing things alone. You keep doing life alone. That's a disease. That's called loneliness. It's going to lead to perhaps Alzheimer's, dementia, who knows later in life. You need connection. You need community. You need people in your life who will help you, who will carry the weight of Christ with you, who will not just let you go it alone because Paul didn't. Jesus didn't. Peter and John didn't. If God's best heroes of the New Testament did not do it alone, you cannot do this alone. And by the way, he names his servants. So my question to you is, are you serving? Are you active? Are you engaged in gospel ministry? Are you using your talents, your time, your treasure in partnership with other people that you can name and say, these are my friends in ministry. There's no greater privilege in my life than doing ministry 
with these wonderful people. God knows your name. Remember Luke chapter 10, 20 says, Rejoice that your names are written in heaven. That was after the disciples came back and t- told Jesus, We're so excited the demons are subject to us in your name. He's like, Yeah, that's, that's great. I'm glad. But I saw Satan fall like lightning. No big deal. God's much stronger. Your father's much stronger. I'm much stronger than the devil. And he says, I've given you authority over serpents and scorpions. Nothing's going to harm you. But listen, don't rejoice in that. Rejoice in the fact that God knows your name. Your name is written down in the Lamb's Book of Life, Revelation chapter 20, 27. So this is another thought. Every Christian is a minister, and every minister needs a membership. I am really concerned with the the status of so many Christians post-COVID who have said, who have just flat out decided... I'm just going to stay at home. I'm going to watch on YouTube. I'm going to go to several churches on YouTube. I'm going to listen to worship music in my car. I'm going to podcast my way right into the pearly gates. No, you need a membership. Every Christian is a minister, and every minister needs a membership. For heaven's sakes, even Jesus Christ himself, on the way to the cross, um, asked Peter and John and James to come and pray with him. He needed them with him. The first thing that Jesus does before he casts out a demon or heals the sick or preaches a message is he calls Peter and uh, Andrew. He calls James and John from their fishing endeavors to be partners with him in ministry. And my friends, you, you just, you got to do it. You got to step out. Now, now, last night I talked about the fact that you cannot blame the church if you feel un, for, uh, lonely. You got to get involved. You got to reach out. You got to be the person who signs up to serve and just show up. And and even if you think like everybody knows everybody and I'm a stranger, well, you, it takes time. Like give yourself a few months, maybe years to feel like connected to these people. Give it more than just a once showing up opportunity and things don't go as well as you think and and it stinks. Look, I talked about this last time about purpose. Like, I've never started anything and have been immediately good at it. Well, you never start a community and immediately feel connected. Community takes work. It takes time. It takes going through ups and downs and showing up regularly and, and being engaged in a project together. In fact, this is something that our church talks about on a regular basis because we send mission groups to Guatemala and Peru on a regular basis. In fact, every six months, we have two mission groups going out of the country together. And their teams of about 12 to 18 people, sometimes 30. And immediately they come back and there's lifelong friendships because they got to know each other on the mission field. Nothing connects you better to other people in Christ than partnering in ministry and in activity in ministry for Christ. Now, a couple of other things I want to say. What can we draw from Romans 16? And I want to put these on the screen. Number one, great men like Paul relied on a long list of partners to accomplish ministry. We've talked about that already. Women were of great importance to the early church. Nine out of the 27 names, possibly 10, depending on Unia there. Nine or 10 out of the 27 names are female names, which means that one third of his partners were female. And the church has historically elevated females. Now, this secular notion, the secular notion that is uh, completely rooted in vicious lies to attack the gospel is that you know, British colonialism or Christian colonialism was misogynistic and male-focused and didn't do anything for women. That's not true. Women in Christian communities by far outpace every other type of community in world history in terms of value, uh, dignity, worth, protections, liberties, opportunities. Do your research. Check yourself. Uh, check for yourself the Muslim dominated countries check for yourself the india uh, the hinduist uh, Muslim, uh, dominated countries 
and you will see that far and away, the Christian faith empowers women and brings great dignity and equality to women every single time. There are notable exceptions, and usually those are cults. But if you look throughout human history, Christian history particularly, you will see the elevation, not the subjugation of women. And that is true for the Apostle Paul. It's also true for Jesus Christ. And then thirdly, the gospel's appeal touched many different kinds of people from all walks of life. Again, free and slave, rich and poor, notable and unknown in society. Now, let me talk about what we can't draw from Romans 16. What you can't draw from Romans 16 is what we've already talked about, that women were elevated to the same position as the apostles, pastors, and elders. To hold that view is to deny so many clear texts of the New Testament is not funny. Doesn't mean that women cannot function in ministry. They actually must function in ministry. There's many places for women to function in ministry. There's only one place where they shouldn't, and that is the ruling pastor position, the overseer, the lead, the pastoral ministry office is the one place that women are restricted from uh, holding, according to Scripture. There were women prophets in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. There are women deacons. There are women um, the teachers. They teach other women. Um, there are the <laughs> women missionaries. I mean, look, the Christian faith restricts only one job to men. Everything else is on the table, in, including cultural positions uh, such as business leaders and CEOs and political leaders and all that is on the table, according to scripture. It's not a bad thing, but the role of disseminating, interpreting and disseminating God's word to God's people is reserved for the men of the church. So we can't draw that idea from Romans 16. We've already talked about it. Number two, house churches. Let's talk about this. Are the New Testament standard and ideal? No, wrong. A lot of people go to Romans 16, again, to draw out a doctrine that is not there. It mentions the household of. I just mentioned it earlier. The household of meant the slaves in the household. <laughs> it wasn't talking about the fact that that's how you're supposed to do church. And, and, and there are other places where it talks about the church that meets in people's houses. They had to meet in people's houses because Christianity was an illegal religion. It was an illegal philosophy. If they had buildings, they would have been burned down the moment they were built. If they melt in public, they would have been persecuted and killed and stabbed and stoned, okay? No, they had house churches or churches in homes because that's where people could meet legally and protectively and secretively. They're doing this right now in the unofficial church in China and other Asian countries. Uh, there's also some excavations that <clears throat> in, from uh, first century Rome that have discovered that the average house could have held about 50 parishioners, 50 people in their church. Uh, the modern church, the modern house does not hold 50, okay? <laughs> Most homes do not hold 50 people. Uh, so unless you're exceedingly rich. So anyway, the point is, we don't go to Romans 16 and say, this is again the proof text for a doctrine of only doing house churches. That's, that's ridiculous reading of the text. Then lastly, the gospel is only for the poor and disadvantaged of society. We can't draw that from Romans 16. Yes, there are some slaves mentioned, but there are also notable people mentioned. There are rich people mentioned. There are wealthy people like Phoebe mentioned and active in ministry. So often from the progressive side of the political aisle in our country, the message to Christians is shut up about politics and just feed the poor. 
And I hate that. I hate that nomenclature. Like, that's that's what you Christians should only really be worrying about. Don't you dare talk about abortion. And don't you dare talk about these political issues. Because you know what? You have no right. You're just supposed to feed the poor. Feed the poor and then we'll listen to you. And then you feed the poor and they still don't listen to you. I mean, honestly, that's... Jim Caviezel talked about that. He had a friend who he would argue with about abortion. Jim Caviezel, a diehard Catholic and, you know, played Jesus in The Passion of the Christ. And, and he had this argument with a friend who was pro-choice. And Jim Caviezel was pro-life, of course. And they would argue. And the, the friend said, well, if you care so much about the unborn, why don't you adopt people, some kids with special needs? So Jim went out and did it. And his friend just dismissed it. His friend just like, yeah, so what? I don't care. I still believe that we should be able to kill the unborn. You can't argue with dogs and swine. You just can't. Don't throw your pearls. Don't catch your, what is valuable to them. The point is, is that the gospel is not just for the poor and the disadvantaged. It's also for the privileged and the advantaged. And we spread the gospel to all people. Jesus reached out to the woman at the well in Samaria. But the, right before that chapter in John 4, he reaches out to Nicodemus, a prominent uh, teacher and, and theologian in Israel. Jesus is buried in Joseph of Arimathea's tomb. Joseph of Arimathea was a very rich man. He was served by the generous contributions of rich women, just as Paul was. Okay, rich people need the gospel too, and it's not just for poor people. Okay, so let's talk about this. Remember from last week, finding your place in God's purpose, because we're going to tie it today to this week. Look at who you're trying to buy. Look at what you've been given and take inventory of your talents. That was last week when we talked about God's purpose. Well, when I say look at who you're surrounded by, uh, that's your team, because it takes teamwork to make the dream work. In your life, okay, whatever you're uh, whatever you're doing for Christ, it takes teamwork. When Jesus sends out the 72, he sends them out two by two. When Peter goes to the temple to pray, he goes with John. Paul and Barnabas are set off in Acts chapter 13. Partnership, 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 partnership. It takes teamwork to make the dream work. Your pastor is not a self-made man. No pastor in America is. If he tries to be a self-made man, he will have a very small church. The role of a pastor is to equip God's people to do the work of the ministry. That's Ephesians chapter 4. So listen to me very carefully. you got to be part of a team. It can't all be about you. And I have noticed that there is a trend in modern America to elevate pastors to celebrity status where it's all about that guy and it's not about the people. But that guy got to that place because of the people that helped him and followed his, his lead. I mean, that's how it works. Teamwork. And I thank God for the team that I have. I hope that you have a team. I hope that you're part of the team, part of a team. And if you're not, start because it's, it matters greatly. Let's talk about that. All right. One thought to conclude and three questions this week. Why all of this matters? Because God does not call you to individual faith, but to corporate cooperation to advance the faith. God does not call you to this you and Jesus partnership. <laughs> do you know that when you read the New Testament, we haven't gone to Bible camp, but do you know when you read the New Testament, like when you read, oh, let's flip over here to hmm, famous passage here, uh, Philippians chapter one, verse six. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. But the you here is in the plural sense in the original Greek language. So it's, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in use. I wish, I wish we had, I wish that in the English language, the plural and the singular you were not the same. I wish it was use because it would make it so much more clear to English speaking Christians that most of the use uh, in these epistles are, are plural. Okay. 
We ought to thank God. This is for Second Thessalonians. We ought to thank God always for you brothers. At least brothers is their plural. So, you know, you, you have this assumption because people read the Bible individually. They think it's all about them and Jesus. No, God calls you to a corporate cooperation to advance the faith. So I have three questions to close out. Uh, number one, do you have a few beloved friends in your life? Do you have a few people that if you needed to write a thank you note to someone for what they do with you in Christ right now, do you have a name? If you don't have a name, get a name. If you're not serving in a church, get to a church and start serving. Seriously, please do not treat this channel as your church. I would be so mortified if that was the case for you. This cannot be your church. I do not even know you personally, probably. So you've got to have some beloved friends, some people who you know and can write thank you letters to, or you can share, I don't know, birthday wishes with or New Year's Eve parties with, something, someone like that, right, that you're partnering with. Number two, are you serving alongside people that you love in ministry? One of the passages of Scripture that really catches my eye, let me see if I can get there quickly here in the Bible cam for you guys. You know that Jesus chose the disciples, the apostles, deliberately, and it says this in Mark chapter 3, uh, let's see, let's see, let's see, let's see. Yes, right here on the D, on the Bible cam. He went up on the mountain and called to him those whom he desired. And they came to him and he appointed 12 that they would be apostles and would be with him and he might send them out to preach. And then the names are right there listed here in verses 17 and 18 and 19. Okay. But note verse 13, he called to him those whom he, what, desired. These were people that Jesus wanted to do life with. Jesus loves all people, but he wanted to be with certain people, okay? And that's okay. And it's okay for you. And it's okay in church. Like, don't force yourself to be around people that make you miserable, there are different strokes for different folks. There are different people with different personalities that if we force them to work together, they will do nothing but bicker, fight, and fuss. So sometimes you need to go your separate ways. Just like Paul and Barnabas went their separate ways over John Mark in, in Acts chapter 15, I think. They went their separate ways. It's okay. Work with people that you love working with. So my advice to some of you is if you're not in, if, I'm sorry, if you are serving in ministry and you're miserable, it might be because you're surrounded by the people that just don't fit with you. Right? It's okay. Maybe find another place to serve. Then number three question is, are you naming names and showing appreciation? Who can you thank today? Who can you reach out to and, like we talked about last night, be a friend? Don't be in the business of making friends. Be in the business of being a friend. Who can you name? Who can you say, hey, uh, Joe, thank you so much for serving alongside with me. Or who can you reach out to right now? Give them a call. Give them a text. Just thinking about you. Want to let you know I appreciate you. You are valuable to me and to Christ. And may God bless you. I mean, like that could be the best thing for someone's day right now. And you have the power right now to change someone's day by naming their name and showing appreciation. Paul did it. God is doing it by writing every name that loves him in the Lamb's Book of Life. I did it a little bit tonight, and I could name many other names, and if I've missed your name, I'm so sorry. There are so many. Oh, Chris. I'm sorry, Chris and Abby. I didn't mention that, but I mentioned them now. Uh, so many people that have served alongside me in ministry, and I thank God for every single one of them. And you need to thank God for the people he puts in your life. And if you don't have them in your life, one more time, 
get them in your life. Hey, like the videos, share the video, subscribe, and do me this solid and support the channel, Cash App Tim Hatch Live, or timhatchlive.com slash support. Thank you, monthly supporters, for your contributions. It's helping to pay some of the many bills that we have for this channel. And we have, like I said, one more episode of The Deep End Season 5 left and one more episode of The Deep Dive Season 5 left. That starts on Tuesday night at 7.30. I'm so glad that you were here. I look forward to seeing you next time on the channel. God bless. Have a great night. <laughs>